medical student posture and a book recommendation written on a prescription pad led him to explore the world of yoga. He shares why he continues to practice Kriya Yoga and explains the power and wisdom behind its five tenets. Enjoy this conversation with a humble soul, great listener, and incredibly wise physician and Kriya Yoga instructor, Dr. David Grimshaw. So we have Dr. David Grimshaw, DO, returning to the podcast. He is a triple board certified physician in osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine, as well as in family medicine and cranial osteopathy. He also holds an international yoga certification practicing Kriya Yoga, and he's been doing this since 1983. And that's our topic for today. we kind of ran out of time in our last conversation and it was a topic that I definitely wanted to um, to allow you to expand on and so we're uh-huh. very excited to have you have you back Dr. Grimshaw. All right well thanks for having me. And um, as always you know I always like to start out with the three questions hobby outside of medicine, but you, you talked about that last time. I don't know if you want to share another hobby outside of medicine that you may have that you didn't share last time we spoke. Oh, no, that's okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What about a, another book recommendation? Sure. Um, so today when we're talking about, uh, some yoga philosophy, a really great book written by, um, Iyengar, um, is called Light on Life. And it he, the sort of the breakdown of the book is talking about the different aspects of being human. And so it, it'll be a perfect backdrop to the philosophy I'm going to talk about when uh, we start going into how yoga has affected the way I practice. Yeah. And, and maybe this is a good time to, to ask that question. So you sent me an email a few weeks back and you were reflecting upon our previous podcast episode where we were talking about somatic dysfunction, not as being a static one and done treatment, you know, maybe like a surgical procedure, but more so as initiating a process of the body healing itself. And you talked about somatic dysfunction being more of a fluid concept. I don't know if you'd like to talk about that a little bit. Sure. I I think that's a, a perception that's just grown over the years in getting a sense about what is it that I'm feeling and what does it mean? And then what can I do about it? So when I'm examining a patient, you know, we have our we have our ways of examining to find somatic dysfunction and all of us tra- trained in osteopathy know the, the things that we're looking for, active range of motion, passive range of motion, tissue texture changes, asymmetry. And so we've got, it's, it's pretty well defined in our profession, but then what, what are the, what are the elements of it? How does it respond when you try to do something with it? And, um, does it come back? You know, so when you're looking at a patient over time, you you start to understand there's a lot of nuances to what what makes up somatic dysfunction. Why is it there, and how is it influencing the body and the way the person is functioning, as well as how is, is the way they're living influencing it? So, yeah. I think um, it it just with time you develop a a recognition that there's there's a lot there and maybe you can get better at perceiving what you are seeing and and feeling when you examine that patient and interact with them yeah and i th- i thought it was so interesting um the quote that that you put in your your email from A.T. Still, and I'd like to read it if that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. So A.T. Still writes, um, this is a quote from him, but he saw more deeply that emotional, mental, and spiritual elements involved in the context of a patient's life 
were literally a palpable and discernible finding that manifested in the body as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and excuse me, that was not a direct quote from A.T. Still. That was you talking about A.T. Still. Yeah. I thought that was so interesting. You know, maybe spiritual or emotional emotional turmoil that a person is experiencing on that spiritual emotional level could manifest in the body in the physical yes well i think we when you think about what a body is it is more than the physical i mean we we have an electromagnetic um signature there's energy flowing through us um and all of the different aspects of of what makes us alive um, are interpenetrated within and just around our bodies. And so there's a lot more to feel when you start to get more of an ability to uh, perceive and sense those other elements, like the flow of energy, the flow of fluids, the 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 movement of um, how easy it is um, for things to flow through that body when you the how forces travel through that body and where the where the stiff places are, where the rocks in the stream are. You can start to perceive things from, you just look like you're looking at it through different lenses. Yeah. How, how do you address something, a dysfunction, a somatic dysfunction, a tight muscle, a joint that's not moving correctly when you think that, hey, you know, this this pain that this person is experiencing that they talk about as coming from their body, maybe it's more of a spiritual or an emotional or psychological problem or struggle that they're going through. How do you address that with them? Well, as I ask questions. Um, I ask questions out loud, you know, with 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 my voice and we talk. I ask questions with my hands. I ask questions by asking them to move something and see how they do it. Um, so I, I I spend time trying to answer that question and trying mm-hmm. to find the best way to help it to function better. So I think if we, in yoga, there are these five um, aspects of being in yoga philosophy that are the different she's they're called um, or koshas that are like the she's that make up a body and they are physical, emotional, mental, intellectual, and spiritual. And so, and in esoteric um, studies, it's, it's quite similar. Like the, from the Tibetan esoteric tradition, same thing. They talk about it in the same way as they do in the yoga philosophy that there are these layers of a person and they're not just like one, one wrap after another, but they interpenetrate and move throughout through each other. And so I think it makes it, it makes for for a pretty good uh, format to organize your thinking, the physical part, the emotional part, mental, intellectual, and spiritual. And the difference between mental and intellectual is more, Mental is more just the basic mind, what I like, what I don't like, kind of the monkey mind where you're thinking, but you're not very well governed. You're just acting and responding to the world around you without a lot of um, governing above. And then the intellectual part is more the conscience, the the part of us that looks upon our behaviors and says, yeah, you know, if I, I really like ice cream, but... If I eat ice cream every day, I'm probably going to get diabetes and become overweight. So there's this un- understanding that j- just because I like ice cream, it, it isn't necessarily a good idea to eat it every day. And the other side of it, just because I'm averse to something, doesn't mean I should avoid it. Sometimes the things that we're most averse to are the things we have to lean into to learn more and to gain you know, knowledge and wisdom. So... That's the difference between mental and intellectual. And then the spiritual is more the sense of how you're connected to the world and creation 
around you and to everything else on on creation the bigger sense of where do i belong how do i fit in so that those are some just a basic for um you know uh, outline of kind of what those concepts are about and um so when i'm talking with patients i'm thinking i've often used that kind of in my mind that organizational structure to get a sense of where things are coming from for them how they work you know how they think how they how their uh, their level of emotional uh, awareness and intelligence their level of physical awareness and intelligence as well do they understand their body can they move their body with uh with intelligence or or not so of these five let's say worlds of yoga um is there one that kind of reigns supreme is it the spiritual or are they all on an equal playing field of hierarchy is there no hierarchy yeah, not so much of a hierarchy, um, except for the the sense of the the part of us that that is not impermanent is the spiritual, mm-hmm. and everything else is impermanent. So, and we'll we're, we'll live, and then we're going to die. And right. but there is an aspect of us, the the seer, the the witness, that is the part of us that is possibly not going away, you know, still is going to exist in perhaps another realm once, once our bodies die and, uh, and we're no longer here in, in physical form. Yeah. And so these, these principles of yoga seem to imbue your practice seem to be a impetus for, um, educating maybe your patients in understanding their body, understanding um, their pain, maybe. Yeah. And do just, you, and the way they work. The way they work. Do you often prescribe yoga to your patients? Well, yes. I mean, I, I do. I sometimes encourage them to study it. It's... Um, Let's let's take that those same five things and talk about what kinds of practices would a person do to gain greater awareness about that aspect of themselves. So physical, you would do exercises. You know, you would exercise, and and in yoga, the postures, the asanas, are ways of coming to better awareness of your body and understand it. For the emotional body, the practices are breathing practices. And the use of the breath, the understanding of how the breath works, control of the breath, mastery of the breath, that helps you get in touch with your emotions. And the, the mental has to do more with meditation, you know, let it, learning to quiet your mind and not let it jump all over the place on you. The intellectual practices relate uh, mostly to like mantras and chanting and use use of um, repetitive type prayers that allow your mind to really become so quiet and keep focused on one thing that there's actually room for you to get insight and inspiration. And then the spiritual part is service, like doing things without um, any kind of expectation of something in return. True, you know, doing selfless service that teaches you humility, helps you dissolve your ego. And that's thereby how you become connected to the universe, your neighbors, creation around you. Is that the idea? Yeah, you, you start to realize you're not just you're not all that special. You're not something special. You're just part of the whole big picture. You're in it. You're part of it. But egotistical thinking will tend to make you think, well, I'm special. I'm different. These are the ways I'm different, etc." Sure. So I feel like each one of these um, principles of yoga could absolutely be 10 episodes of a podcast. 
Um, you know, we, we've right, got yeah. power. It's a lot there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I You're do right. Wanna... It's, you know, like 5,000 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk for the rest of our lives about these principles. Right. Um, I, I do want to ask you, though, because I'm very interested in breathing. When you talk about breathing mastery, Mm-hmm. What do you mean, and how do you go about doing that? I know that's a loaded question, but maybe yes, you can give us okay. a, a synopsis. Yeah, the difference. So in in yoga, the the study of breathing is called pranayama, and prana is the word that's like chi in Chinese medicine, the the life force, and so the breath is the is the bridge between your mind and your body and so it's a way of starting to connect to become more like um whole realizing you're you're not just a mind you're not just a body you're a mind body spirit you know being so the breath is studying prana the life force and you do that through different kinds of practices but in pranayama there's the aspect the whole the cycle of one breath is divided into four parts. It's the inhalation, the space between inhalation and exhalation, the exhalation, and the space between exhalation and inhalation. And a lot of the techniques then have different ratios for how long you're going to spend in a breath cycle on each of those parts. But yogic breathing is essentially helping to teach you to slow down how many breaths per minute you're taking and really spacing that breath out elongating that breath and um controlling how you do that so that your mind your body can slow down and you can be in a more emotionally quiet place and calm yourself and also physiologically quiet your body like slow down your heart rate and your lower your blood pressure and so forth that's right and i think that's Oftentimes when I have talked to my patients who might have, you know, triggering events which causes anxiety, I used to say, hey, you know, maybe you can try taking deep breaths. But I found that and I read in some book and I don't remember exactly where it's not necessarily just the deep breath. It's more so the deep, slow breath, Mm -hmm. which actually calms down our physiology um, yeah. and our mind. And, and the ratio too, the, the, the most common ratio for physiologically quieting is a one to two ratio. Like one for every, say, five seconds you breathe in, you breathe out for 10. And, oh, the, and, and the little space between, you don't, you don't really hold the breath when you're doing that one. You, you breathe in, for say let's say five counts and just momentarily just acknowledge the fact that you have just finished and you're about to exhale and then you exhale for twice as long and then again you, when you finish that you acknowledge okay i just finished and you start the next one and so you learn ways to control how that breath is flowing through your throat so that it's the same amount of air going in and out right but you learn how to make it last twice as long when you exhale. Interesting. And that's, and that's the, what you're talking about, the breathing mastery. This is absolutely part of that. Right. I see. And so Dr. Grimshaw, it it sounds to me like, why would you not invite all of your patients to do yoga? It seems like anybody and everybody would benefit from this. Well, that's because everybody's different, Ben. You know, <laughs> not, not everybody's going to go for that. All right. Do you think, though, that every human being could benefit from yoga, even if they didn't want to? Well, I think that every human being could benefit from learning how to become more aware of who they are. And there's more than one way to do that. And yoga is a way, uh, a way to live, a how to live kind of philosophy it's not the only one Mm -hmm. and people need to find you know i really believe people need to find their own path 
And um, so I'm glad to model and be an encourager for yoga. But if they want to learn Tai Chi or they want to study another maybe mystical tradition, um, maybe the, the Sufi tradition or the Jewish mystical tradition or the Christian mystical tradition, that's okay. As long as they're learning and going closer to understanding who they are and how they fit into the bigger picture, that that's awareness. And awareness is the most important thing. How you get there, you you know, it's it's important for people to find their their own road, their own path. That's very interesting. And so this this leads me into a, a question of. How did you and why did you in 1983 get into yoga and why specifically did you choose the, the Kriya yoga? Okay. Well, it, it started with pain <laughs> and um, I had terrible sciatica during, that was my, um, that was the spring of my first year of medical school. And I'd, I had been extremely active physically leading up to going to medical school. And then I just all of a sudden for a year did nothing but sit and study. And I got in a lot of like my fascia shrunk wrapped and I was trying to figure out how to feel better. And I went to one of my professors, Dr. Briner, who was an OMM professor. Um, and I said, you know, my, I have this pain down my leg and I'm, I'm in agony and can you please help me? And she got out her prescription pad and she wrote down the name of a book. And it was called The Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, who was a Kriya yogi um, who had come from India and taught here in the U.S. in the 1900s, early 1900s. So, Dr. Grimshaw, you had no trauma. This is no trauma. You think this is just pure postural? This yeah. This is med student what... posture? So what happens to me? Pain. Yeah. Okay. That's that pretty much. I mean, where and I'm sure there's a lot to it. Ben, I, there was yeah. the. Is this the right thing? Do I really want to be a doctor? Mm. This seems kind of medieval. I thought it was going to be more interesting. Um, lots of things. Lots of angst. You know. I can I? You know, I didn't. I had no worries about being able to do it. It was. Do I want to do this? You know. Interesting. So many stressors. Yeah, lots of things going on. Yeah. Okay. The okay. So, so then you yeah. got this book. Right. And it was it was a big light bulb for me. I really found that book to be quite enlightening. And a lot of the sort of really big questions I had about the, what I would call spiritual questions, like questions of meaning. Like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing while I'm here? Um, how do I find out um, those those big questions of meaning? Um, it so really this, helped me with that. So this was not only helping you maybe find a means to overcome the corporeal pain that you were experiencing, but also and maybe more profoundly helping you kind of find your purpose as a future physician. Sure. I think. It was all wrapped up. All, all in, it was all in there. And so I started taking the yoga class at that time. Uh, that summer, after the first year, had a great teacher. went to the MSU Union. And he was, a, he was an Australian physician who was a Swami. And um, great, great experience. And I worked my way through, you know, I got out of pain. And then discovered, you know, this whole tradition that was just so holistic and integrated and um, would fit perfectly with the ideas I had about what a physician ought to be doing for people too, you know. And so what was it, Dr. Grimshaw, in that first yoga class where the light bulb went off and you said, this is what, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I need. And this is something that I want to do in my future osteopathic practice. Well, I think that the initial experience was just, thank you. I feel so much better. And isn't this interesting? And I, and being a pretty mentally, 
you know, le- leading. I'm, I lead mentally as in terms of my being. Um, I just, I thought, oh, I want to study meditation. I want to read more about this philosophy. And now that my body feels better, okay, let's let's move on. And it wasn't until years later, until the 90s, um, that I came back around and again and realized that I need to get out of my head and really connect better with my body. And so it was like, it took the first 10 years, it was mostly intellectual interest, reading and study and learning more about it and, and just starting my career, you know? And then as, then it came back around later when I actually met in the late nineties, when I met my the teacher that I still have today um, and saw that, Oh, it was much more than I thought. And, the parts that I wasn't paying that much attention to were the ones I needed actually to pay more attention to and become more, you know, become a more well-balanced person. When you say the parts that you were neglecting, what are you referring to? Well, like taking care of my physical body. Like I wasn't getting enough sleep. Uh, I wasn't exercising as much as I used to when I was younger and I was starting to get more pain again. And so the, like the physical part and then the emotional part was the big one. I, I realized that I, when there's a particular meditation that you do where you just let perceptions come in, your thoughts, your feelings, you acknowledge them and you let them go. Like at the end of a day, you just, you're practicing this learning to detach and be, see what's going on with you, but not let it um, carry you away. And I realized that I wasn't, paying attention to my feelings. I was discounting them. I didn't think they were important. And I wasn't taking care of my body. And so I, those two elements, I had to come back around and readdress and, and incorporate more of my awareness and practice in taking care of the way my body, as well as start to pay attention to my emotions. So there are many different kinds of yoga did you practice and study the, the Kriya Yoga because that was just what you came into contact with at Michigan State University when you went to that yoga studio? Or was it something about the philosophy that you really particularly liked? Right. So Kriya Yoga is what you would call an integral kind of yoga where it, it's not just postures or just meditation. It's, it incorporates all of those elements that I mentioned earlier. And so you have practices that you integrate so that you try to become a person that's more balanced in, in all the different aspects of yourself. So you're not sort of a one-dimensional person, like an intellect or, or a physical, you know, an athlete or a, an emotional genius. You know, you're trying to realize that there's that you, who you are involves all of those parts and, and try to become more um, integrated. So that's why I liked Kriya Yoga was because it looked at the whole picture. I see. Okay. And what, I mean, you've been practicing, practicing this since 1983. When did you decide I want to become a yoga instructor? Yeah. Well, my, my teacher suggested it. Um, I had been going, so I go to um, an ashram just outside of Montreal in Quebec. And I started, that's when I started going there was in 1998. And, and you'd go for um, four or five days or, and then as you get into the more advanced training, it's 11, 10, 11 days. And I'd gone through the levels and as I'd gotten through the more advanced level, he asked me, he said, do you, th- do you think this is hard? And I said, no, this is a respite from my life. I mean, compared to what I do at home, this is, is so rejuvenating for me. And he said, well, I've been watching you. And I think you would make a great yoga teacher, you know, because he knew at that point that I, he, he really had gotten to know me over the, because that was from, what, 98 to 2004. So I've been going there every year for that time. He said, I think you should consider doing that. 
And I was uh, at that time very involved in, you know, teaching OMM continuing ed courses. And so I, I learned to become a teacher in, in our field. And I, when he said that to me, it kind of hit me like, well, that's, it, it surprised me. And, and then I realized there's a huge difference between being a medical educator and being a yoga teacher, because as a medical educator, you're, you're transferring, you know, knowledge and skills. But as a yoga teacher, you're like, you are the teaching. You have to actually show up in all parts of yourself to teach yoga. Right. So it's a tougher job. And so it was a little, you know, it, was, it kind of threw me and I was like, can I do that? Do I want to do that? Um, but he encouraged me. And I think it was around 2006 that I actually did the yoga teacher training. 2006. And and why, again, were you going up to Montreal? Well, um, the, this Kriya Yoga, he, so he was he's a Kriya Yoga teacher. And the, the Yogananda tradition um, was pretty westernized. And, it, and I, I didn't really feel like it was, it didn't fit me that I, I liked it. Okay. But it wasn't, I was looking for something else. And I, in yoga journal, I saw a book that he had written, I advertised and I said, I'll, I'll get it. And I, when I read it, I said, that's who I want to learn from. And so I, on my 38th birthday, I, I uh, gave myself the birthday present of going to that first retreat with him. And that's where he lives. So I went there and once I was there, I was like, yep, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Wow. Dr. Grimshaw, I'm 38. Now I feel like maybe I need to go to Quebec. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do. I do do have to tell you, he's, he's a phenomenal teacher. He's someone I really emulate. I have great respect for him. And you continue to go back to Montreal every year for, is it a week or a weekend like retreat or, or. Yeah, it, it kind of depends. There's these different levels. So you can do weekend retreat. I've taken my family members, you know, to the there as well. And we um, just recently, we we went to Rhode Island. My wife and I went to Rhode Island for one of the weekend retreats. Um, so he Rhode Island is the house they have in, in the U.S., he and his wife, which is right by their grandkids. And um, so he he held a seminar there. And so we went because it it was with all these travel restrictions and COVID. I hadn't been there since the border got closed. Sure. So it had been a while. And uh, but yes, I like to try to go every year if I can. I didn't I haven't always made it every year. But yes, that's my goal, at least as, as much as I can. Sure. And so now as both a physician and a yoga instructor, is there a separation there when you're in yoga, you're a yoga instructor when you're, I mean, I guess you've already told us when you're in the clinic, no, those worlds blend, but more so maybe in the yoga studio setting. Is there that separation between physician yoga instructor? Yeah. And I'm just me. Just you. And I just, I show up and I do the best I can in both, in both settings. Sure. You know, what is, but the, but I do make a difference. It is different. And one of the things I've learned in more recent years is that a real great niche for me in the studio where I teach, People's Yoga Studio in Lansing, um, they have regular yoga teacher training classes. And my favorite thing to do is to do the anatomy and physiology integrating for the yoga teachers. So I go and teach them about anatomy and physiology. Oh, that's fantastic. And it, it's a great, you know, it's like perfect for me, you know, because it, it's got the medicine part and the yoga part. Yeah. And I, I love that. Um, and I, I like to teach my yoga class too. And, but I, but that part is very exciting for me to, it's intellectually stimulating, you know? Sure. I, I really, I get to be both, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so your yoga classes, Dr. Grimshaw, are they for all levels? Are they just for beginners or just advanced? Yeah, all levels. Um, in general, my my classes, I have people in my class that have 
some infirmities, some um, impairments. And so we do have to do things in stages and carefully we go pretty slowly because I have people with, you know, knee replacements and who've had spine surgery and, you know, a number of things that um, limit their, what they're doing. So it's not, it's more about, we do part of the classes is physical postures. Then we do a breathing practice. Then we do a meditation. So the class is also integrated. Like we were talking about earlier, it has these different elements in it. And we usually have a discussion about philosophy at the beginning before we start the postures. So that that's how I teach it. I teach it in an integrated way. So it's not like an exercise class. Like a, like a lot of yoga classes can be. Wow, Dr. Grimshaw, I, I feel like I need to talk to our chief resident and bring you to Michigan State University to the residency and you you could lead a a yoga session. That would be so informative, I think, for our residents. Um, I I did I did do that a few years ago. Yeah, for a di- for a didactic. We should bring it back. <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy to. What is it about teaching yoga that you really love and appreciate? I think it's that it's a great how to live philosophy and it, in, it helps people develop awareness of themselves. And, and so, and that is the key thing to happiness, you know, learning to understand who you are, how you work and how you fit in so that you can be the best you in this world and learn to avoid the obstacles and pitfalls that all humans face because of human nature you know we have a lot of tendencies to uh have the wheels go off the bus and if you it if you can steadily practice learning to understand your own nature and how you work and how you can do be the best you and where you where your blind spots are what your strengths are what your weaknesses are you can become a better person and for me, that's just a great thing to help people learn. And so how, how are you, because I feel like awareness is absolutely a individual personalized experience. How do you make it personal in a class of, I'm not sure how many people are there, but I'm, I'm guessing that it's not a one-on-one session. Right. Yeah. In our regular, um, excuse me. The computer just turned back on. It was was on pause. Sorry about that. No problem. Well, awareness, awareness is connection, actually. So it's not, an individual experience. Um, just take animals in the woods. And and if you observe the way animals, animals have just extreme intelligence and awareness of what's going on around them. So awareness is not an individual experience. It's actually the experience of connection with everything around you. So it, it is useful to do it in a group and um you and when you are cultivating that in yourself what you learn is that you know you're nothing special you are not different than other people you work you're you're a person you're a human you got the same things going on with you that others do and you're like them and i i learned that in early on in my practice i'd see my own my own stuff in my patients. And I'd say, yeah, yeah, I got that too. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm not ahead of you. I, I see you and I see me in you. And so that ability to see the connections and the things we have in common is how you build awareness. And, and the more you see yourself as like others, the less you see yourself as something special and you have fewer 
then you don't have blinders on. You you become more you you become more empathic. You understand what compassion is. Um, it changes the way you live your life. It, it and I and I I agree with you that um, awareness is ultimately connectedness. But it seems to me that to get to that connectedness, you have to have quite a lot of introspection mm-hmm. um, and go really deep into your thoughts and your emotions and your past and you know maybe some traumatic events it seems like quite a very a long maybe somewhat of an arduous journey and yeah that's would fair you, would you say that in that sense maybe it is this journey of introspection and and trying like you were talking about getting to know my nature but as i am understanding myself and understanding my blind spots and my weaknesses and where maybe i am very egotistical i start to become more and more and more connected to those around me and my community yeah. and creation yep it, it's definitely a process and it it's really you're right it, it takes discipline and practice yeah. day to day you know sticking with it and and doing the work. And so, Dr. Grimshaw, this is a very personal question, and you do not have to answer it. But I am curious if you would like to share what each one of those five principles of yoga, the Kriya Yoga, mean to you. That's, well, that's very personal. You don't have to share if you would not like to, and I understand. No, it's it's pretty easy question. Okay. Um, it each um, in terms of the physical. It I I started to develop an awareness more of um, how things worked in my body, and it translated into say with I'm when I'm with a patient, I could see, say a a strain in the quadratus lumborum and the psoas muscle on one side, and I realized. Well, I know what that feels like in me. And so it made it easier for me to develop a way to treat it and to think of perhaps an exercise to give them that I myself had tried. So I it became I was able to just actually use my experience at work. So that so that was just one way it came to fruition was that I and so I was kind of rewarded for doing that work because then I started to see, well, this really helps me what I'm doing. Emotionally. Um, I realized that that was a big kind of a gap for me. So I really studied and, and tried to focus on learning the, what's really happening inside me. And I went, I've gone to a lot of counseling. And I, so I used a counselor to help me um, over uh, several counselors over the years, um, in addition to the yoga practice to, to become more emotionally aware. Um, from the mental part, um, the the meditation practice was really natural for me. And so it, through journaling and doing meditation, I just developed a little more insight into the way I think. The intellectual part for me was the most profound, though, because what I discovered was that I'm really, where at my core, I'm more of a person that um, operates from the heart, like from a sense of... Um, caring for other people, loving other people. And that that's what really gives me the energy to do my life. And the, the intellectual um, practices, the mantras and the chanting and the, um, you know, devoting yourself to, in, in a way to something, a cause greater than yourself. That's what gave me the most energy. And then the spiritual part was how it all started for me. Cause that's where I felt the, I felt this sense of um, emptiness, like what a sense of um, what does this all mean? And so it helps yeah. to guide. And there me you're talking to... about like existential. What is the right. meaning of my life? Right. Yeah. I had a lot of existential angst. Like why, why is the world this way? Why do so many people suffer? It doesn't seem right. You know, and I'm an environmental uh, person. So why are we destroying this earth? It's just been like, 
it's such a, a painful, painful thing for me to watch through my life. And so how to find a way to kind of ease that pain and that sense of angst and, and, and use and find useful applications to the way I'm living my life that help me feel like I'm doing something that perhaps is making things better. I want to go back to intellectual. So I, it was interesting when you were talking about chanting and these repetitive prayers, and mm -hmm. it's not so much um, the words of the prayer, but it sounds like it is you're, you're saying these repetitive words to be able to be inspired and almost clear your mind of its clutter. That's, gosh, Ben, you really listened well. That's exactly right. Um, and you're, you're giving your mind something to do so that it doesn't wander off, so that there's a, a space develops where there's a quietness, where new ideas can come in. It's like you're not filled up with thoughts, you know? Yeah. So, that, so you can get like these, the lightning bolt, the, the aha kinds of experiences where, oh, that's, you know, the answer to something that you've been really trying to find. And, and, it, and it can hit you, you know? Um, so yes, that, that is, that's what that's about. And it's also the part that helps you with your conscience to have this sense about, am I living my life the way I want to? Is this, is this how I want to be living? And do I want to make choices about how I'm living? It can be anything in your life, your finances, your relationships, your, your vocation. Is this going in the right direction? You know, kind of that guiding voice, your, your conscience, you know. Sure. It, it, it helps to heighten the, I guess, the, how well that works for you. Mm -hmm. I remember as, uh, as a child praying the, I grew up Catholic, and so we would pray the rosary frequently mm -hmm. in my family. And I never understood the reason for the repetitive prayer. Mm -hmm. Praying the same prayer again and again and again. And then, in my mind as a as a young boy i was like this doesn't make any sense to me i'm just saying the same words and i yeah. couldn't find sense and meaning into it and so when you talked about saying repetitive prayers as a way to clear your mind and heighten your consciousness i was like oh that's that was probably the the point of that to enter into that meditative um and maybe enlightened um, awareness, I guess. Yeah. Um, a metaphor that's often used for that is a lake that's like glass. You know, so often our, uh, our mind is like a lake with, with way, so many waves and, you know, wind going over it and it's never still. Mm -hmm. but, but when your mind becomes still, it's like glass and you can see through the lake to the bottom, you know, see more deeply. Sure. Yeah. I've all, I've also heard the analogy, you know, life sometimes is, is like the ocean uh, uh, where you have these, a storm in the ocean, crashing waves and lightning. But if you go down deep, deep, deep to the profundity of the ocean there, it's calm and it's quiet. Mm -hmm. And that's that place of, of meditation, or mm -hmm. I guess in the sense that repetitive prayer. I like both of those analogies really well. Um, well, great, Dr. Grimshaw. Now, now I want to know what days and time are you teaching at People's Yoga Studio in Lansing? Yeah. Well, right now I'm not back in um, live classes and I'm just doing the teacher training. But usually when we go back into regular pattern again, I teach one night a week. One night a week. Okay. I, before we stopped, it was um, Thursday nights, but I'm, I don't know which, what it's going to be once I start back up again. Sure. We'll have to wait and see. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Grimshaw. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention about yoga? No, I think, um, the other thing that we didn't really get to talk about 
Um, the first time that I kind of wished I would said more about was just working with babies. Because the thing about babies is that they're, they're like a lighthouse. They've got a 360-degree consciousness. And so connecting with babies and working with them is my very favorite thing to do. And, and it's amazing how much you can help a young life, uh, not just, you know, help their head not be misshapen or their neck be tilted, but to really help to connect with their consciousness and their, because they're wide open. And to make that connection and work with them is like a real act of, of loving kindness, you know, and to see the little transformations that you can do on those little ones. But for me, that's the, that's my very favorite part of practice. Hmm. So when you, when you talk about the baby having that 360 degrees of consciousness, you mean they haven't really gone through a lot of life experiences, trauma, their concepts aren't formed. No, it's actually just more like, so there's a, Alison Gopnik is a researcher at Berkeley on, uh, and how uh, spirituality in children and and she uses this metaphor that children are like lighthouses they're paying attention to everything around them all the time and it's exhausting but they're they've got it completely um open to what's going on around them and they're so aware and as we get older we we become like spotlights we learn to focus our attention and we think that's a good thing and but then we're not seeing anything around us. We become, we kind of lose that larger 360 perspective. So she uses that um, metaphor. And, and she says, you know, children are the research and development division of the human race because they're just trying anything, everything. They're just so interested in whatever's going on. So they have this, they're just tuned in so much, so much more than we are as grownups. Very and curious they, about it. You can learn a lot from that. You can learn a lot from them. Yeah, absolutely. Extremely curious and attentive. Yeah, like you were saying, to everything around them. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Well, thanks, Dr. Grimshaw, for you know being generous with your time, sharing us, sharing with us your experience of yoga and the benefits that it's it's you know been for you in your life and. The, the people that you're teaching um, yoga to. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to bring you into MSU and you could teach us a course. That'd be fantastic. Okay. So thanks again, Dr. Grimshaw. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon. All righty. Okay. You have a good evening. Good weekend. You too. Take okay. care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. It's so refreshing to speak with a wise soul, someone open to listening and learning from others. Dr. Grimshaw embodies this. Hope you all were able to take away some of this life wisdom and will be able to incorporate it into your own lives. Please like this podcast and write a review. As always, click on the link to ask any questions. Have a great week and stay tuned for the next episode.